The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invegor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices. But they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us here at Midweek and letting us be part of your day. I am in Tampa, Florida for the National Biodiesel Conference. Yesterday I talked about it being in the 40s and chilly down here and all the locals bundling up. Well, today it was in the 30s this morning. Haven't even seen them out. They stayed inside today, but it's supposed to be up into the 60s today. So, again, you can tell the Midwesterners uh, it's a little cooler than they hoped it would be when they came, came down here, but it, they're not minding the, the, this weather. The, the, what's cool here seems pretty nice to those of us from the uh, frigid at Midwest. So, we are... Um, into another day of the biodiesel conference we talked about these things yesterday but i want to kind of expound upon them a little bit uh, today there's a, there are opportunities for the biodiesel industry moving forward there's some cautious optimism but there's still the pain of the last couple of years that the industry is trying to rebound from and we're going to talk about some of those on our our program today we're going to start things off joining us now is shelby neal he is the director of state regulatory affairs for the national biodiesel board shelby thank you for joining us um when we talk about opportunities for the biodiesel industry to really grow, really expand, many of those opportunities come on the east and west coast, right? Yeah, that's right, Mike. And, uh, you know, first off, thanks for being here at the conference. Uh, we're excited to have you. Uh, it's a great conference. Where, you know, attendance is up, excitement's up. As you, you know, sort of alluded to, we've had a huge federal policy success. So we feel like we're really poised for a good run, uh, both at the federal level, but especially at the state level, which is, is where I work. Uh, you know, biodiesel is a low-carbon fuel policy. And so to most of us who live in the Midwest, that's not a, something we talk about every day. But it is on the east and west coast, and that's growing to be a, a really big market for, for biodiesel, and uh, including soy biodiesel. A lot of times in the Midwest, we look at some of the policies that come out of a state like California, and we kind of just shake our heads and think, well, this is going to be a problem. This is going to be a challenge. But in the case of uh, uh, low-carbon policy that they have in California, that has actually opened the door, right, for some biodiesel opportunities. Yeah, no no question. Uh, I think that uh, California is particularly environmental-oriented. Uh, you spend a little bit of time in L.A. when you can literally see the air, and that's kind of where that stems from. So, it, uh, you know, biodiesel reduces all pollutants by at least 50%, and so there's a natural attraction to biodiesel, particularly on the greenhouse gas side, you know, where we have an 80% reduction. So we're a real key part into what they're trying to accomplish with air quality and some of these climate issues. Uh, so biodiesel actually has grown from 14 million gallons six years ago to now. It's over 700 million gallons 
that's uh, unprecedented growth, and uh, a lot of that money goes back to the Midwest. Now, California, but some other states on the West Coast are looking using more biodiesel as well. Yeah, that's right, Mike. Uh, Oregon has the same, they call it a low-carbon fuel standard, so just have to reduce the clean up your fuel system over time. And uh, Oregon has one of those policies. So Oregon's grown over the same time period from almost nothing to over, you know, 60 million gallons, uh, which is about this, which is a bigger market than Iowa or Missouri or or most any Midwestern market. So so that's growing. Washington is actively considering that type of legislation, as is Colorado. So this is a big growth opportunity. But more than that, it adds value. These carbon credits are worth over a dollar a piece, and that, that value is split amongst the biodiesel producer, you know, the soybean producer, renderers. And so uh, it's a real good situation for us. We're excited about it. What about on the East Coast? We know we talked yesterday about the, the growth of uh, bioheat in the Northeast, but what about uh, biodiesel use overall on the East Coast? Yeah, that's uh, we're very bullish on that. Uh, Donnell Rehagen, our CEO, during the general session today talked about uh, the fact that the, the National Organization for the Oil and Heat Industry came together and said, you know what, on a voluntary basis, we want to green our fuel. We want a cleaner, lower emitting fuel. And so they've actually supported a resolution. Uh, they want to have 50% of the fuel sold be biodiesel by 2030. So that's uh, you know, at least a 3 billion gallon market. So we're working with them on legislation to to improve the fuel standards there, particularly in New York and Rhode Island. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a huge bright spot for us. So the irony here is uh, where the the feedstock is produced in the Midwest, that we're not seeing as much movement on the low carbon policy. Is that because we don't have the bigger cities, or what? You think? Yeah, it is a little ironic that uh, it's it's an interesting s- scenario with that the, the coasts are moving forward on these low carbon fuel policies, but they don't re- really don't reduce they don't they don't produce the fuels they don't produce the feedstocks so it's really the midwest is sending fuel to the to the coasts and the coasts are sending money back which is you know a pretty positive scenario for for soybean farmers and midwestern producers but in the midwest uh the the carbon conversation is uh you know, it's just really not happening as as much. Uh, you know, the politics in the Midwest are are more moderate and more Republican, and and that just tends not to be an issue that resonates with voters as much. It could change over time, but right now, that's just not what we're seeing. We have some good policies in the Midwest, but they're more economic development oriented. The good thing I think here is as this pushes on uh, on environmental issues, that um, these cities. These states we just talked about are looking at a fuel like uh, biodiesel, a biofuel, uh, rather than, you know, all the talk has been uh, so much attention paid on going electric or whatever that may be. But uh, we've we've talked about this before. Don't overlook industries and fuel sources that are environmentally friendly that we have right now, like biodiesel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm from Missouri, and you look at even places like Kansas City or St. Louis or Springfield, which is not a big town, there those are all in clean air non-attainment, which means that they are legally required to clean up their air. And so they have to look at strategies. And, and biodiesel is, is less expensive than diesel fuel. You're reducing emissions by more than 50%. The new diesel engines, a lot of people don't know this, but they've reduced emissions by more than 90% relative to the old diesel engines. And in general, actually clean the air. Mm-hmm. So they're actually better than electric vehicles. That's a story we probably need to do a little better job of, of getting out there. But we're seeing biodiesel adopted as part of these larger strategies to clean up the air. I think back over the years, we talked about getting uh, biodiesel you know, used by school buses and, of course, uh, by semis, use at airports. Are those efforts still growing? 
They are growing. Um, there's no question. So I would say, you know, that would be a caveat to the Midwestern carbon discussion is you do see these pockets, generally municipal fleets and airports that they want to be able to advertise the fact that they're they're low carbon, they're green, they're using recycled feedstocks. Um, and so that is a growing market. And interestingly, they want to use high blends of biodiesel. They, they don't even want 20% biodiesel. They want to be 100 hmm. Uh, and so that's uh, that's a market for us that we're continue, that we're putting some dollars in as far as research to make sure that B one hundred is compatible in all the engines out in the market. So you expect a big year in growth this year? I think we're going to have a big big year in terms of of profitability. The last two years have been uh, really tough on our industry. We've seen you know sales have have been fine, but it, it's just uh, been a tough year in mm-hmm. terms of you know, eking out even even the thinnest type of a profit. So so we're hopeful with better footing at the federal level that our, our producers will be able to heal up a little bit. It's it's no different than farming. You know, you have these cycles where, you know, you'll have a couple bad years and you just hope you have a couple good years along the way to heal you up. And that's kind of what we're hoping for. Yeah, and that's why I described as cautious optimism here. I mean, there's still the recovery period that has to you go through and then really start looking to hopefully expand and grow. Great. Shelby, good to talk with you. Thank Mike, you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Shelby Neal, he's Director of State Regulatory Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board as we broadcast from Tampa, Florida, the National Biodiesel Conference. Stay with us. Much more to come right here on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're back here in Tampa for the National Biodiesel Conference, joined now by Kurt Kavarik. He is the Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. And Kurt, it had to feel good to get up in front of the group uh, yesterday and talk about a a great victory, and that was the uh, tax extenders package that uh, was finally approved, which meant the biodiesel tax credit. You got it for two years that have passed that you didn't have it, and then three years moving forward. It's just a huge shot in the arm for this industry. Yeah, that's right, Mike. Glad to be with you. When um, when uh, you know, as you mentioned, it, it it was it was it was a great feeling. We put in two long years of hard work to try to get this done. Uh, we're relieved. That's the best way that I can put it. I mean, I, I've seen the hardship in the industry, the plant closures, the producers, the farmers trying to just trying to figure out when is Congress going to act? Are they going to be able to get this done? So to get uh, a five-year extension, as you mentioned, two years back, three years forward, that three years forward is just enormously huge. I mean, what a huge victory for 
the industry, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the longest uh, prospective extension the industry has had since it was first put in place back in 2005. And I don't think we can overstate the importance of this tax credit for this industry. Without it, if that had not passed, we would have seen further reduction in the industry. I mean, significant cutbacks, right? Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad it didn't uh, come true, but we, you know, we were we were sharing with our champions on the Hill that if the calendar flipped to 2020 and this tax credit was not extended, we would have widespread shutdowns in the industry simply because people are carrying that financial obligation on the books for two years. And when you get into the third year, the question really comes to mind, is this going to happen? Is it going to be retroactive? I can't operate under these uh, circumstances. So we're, we're just absolutely uh, so thankful to our champions on the Hill uh, Senator Grassley, Senator Ernst, uh, Representative Fink, and I were dozens, really. Um, at the end of the day, we had 65 co-sponsors in the House bill. That's that's never happened before. Um, you know, we can't say enough about their doggedness in making sure that that year-end package included a tax title and included an extension of the biodiesel tax credit. Yeah, so many cha- so many opportunities. You thought you were going to get it, you were close, and it didn't happen. And finally, to get it done was just a great victory. We're talking with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Now, there's still some challenges ahead. Uh, Let's let's talk trade policy first of all. There's been a lot of positive trade news recently, but there's still some issues and concerns for biodiesel. Absolutely. So our industry engaged in a couple of trade cases a, a handful of years ago, uh, primarily against Argentina and Indonesia for subsidized and dumped product. Uh, we knew that product was coming in at a level that they couldn't compete with. Uh, when, once uh, we, we, we got those victories on the trade case, the domestic production increased by 20%, which is exactly what we predicted. Um, we have had a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a challenge here with Argentina coming uh, in, in a handful of different ways to challenge that uh, duties from from uh, Commerce Department. We're working through it. We think we'll have a final decision here in the next couple of weeks. We're hopeful that it's going to come out our way. Um, you know, we, we look at this as another opportunity for this administration to follow through on their promises to fight for better trade deals, to fight for uh, U.S. manufacturing, American farmers, just like they're doing with USMCA. Glad they had that victory. I'm sure farmers are relieved that that's across the finish line and did no harm. I, I think farmers are, are happy about the trajectory of the negotiations with China and the phase one. What we're trying to compel this administration to understand is if they hold firm on these uh, duties on Argentinian biodiesel, as they should, this is another enormous victory for the American farmer and U.S. manufacturing, that they could tout as much as they are uh, their victory on USMCA and the China trade deal. So we're hopeful. We've had a lot of conversations with uh, the administration, with our champions on the Hill, obviously with Secretary Ross. We know they get it. Um, we're just hopeful that they do end up doing the right thing here in the next couple of weeks. The other big issue, of course, continues to be the small refinery exemptions granted to the RFS. And in, we talk a lot about it affecting ethanol. It, it has impacted the biodiesel industry even more. Uh, explain how that works and why it's so harmful to this industry. Well, we, we operate in a world where uh, EPA sets our annual volume ob- obligation 14 months in advance. They tell the market what that number is. And then, unfortunately, through the granting of small refiner exemptions, that erodes that volume. So when we believe the volume was $2.1 billion or $2.43 billion, and then they grant 38 small refinery exemptions, that erodes a couple hundred million gallons worth of demand uh, that our producers aren't even aware of. It happens kind of in the dead of night. Uh, an individual refinery might know about it, and that's not a way to operate a business, and there's no certainty there. So we fought 
uh, like crazy all of last year with our champions at both uh, partnering with the ethanol industry and all the commodity groups. You know, we got the president to focus on this issue. He recognized that he had a problem with the soybean farmers and the biofuels producers based on his commitment to to uh, withhold and, and upheld uh, uh, the, the renewable fuel standard. Now, EPA, uh, you know, does what EPA does, and they figured out a way to, to undermine the president's commitment. We got half a loaf. Um, I'm hopeful that we can kind of hold EPA's feet to the fire. I know our, our champions on the Hill will. Um, but the good, the good news is, I mean, this is, like I said, it's a half a loaf. The fact of the matter is EPA has finally acknowledged that they need to account for some of these wave gallons. They're not going to do all of them uh, based on what they've granted in the past. But it, it's a step in the right direction to return some integrity to these volumes. It's been a double whammy for the biodiesel industry. One, to set the level, the RVOs at $2.43 billion when the industry could do more. Absolutely. So it, it was set low to begin with, and then you don't even get the 2.43 because of the SREs, the exemptions. That's, that's exactly right. We've argued with EPA that continually set our volume too low. I mean, the, our market is upwards of 2.8 billion gallons. So what's the benefit of a 2.43 billion gallon renewable volume obligation when we're producing 2.8? So that you're exactly right. I mean, we've argued that in two fronts with EPA. One, uh, you need to stop granting as many, you need to account for the volumes, and you need to grow the volumes to send the right signal to the marketplace. The great news about having long-term certainty on the tax credit is, as an industry, uh, as as a advocacy effort with our champions on the Hill, we now can focus on one issue. Not to say that we can't uh, you know, work on three different policy issues, but the fact of the matter is tax credit was priority number one, two, and three for all of 2019. We were able to contribute to the effort to, to, to bring some integrity to the to the RFS through this granting of small refiner exemptions. But I'm optimistic. I feel great about 2020 and the fact that we're really going to be able to make some inroads um, to have have these conversations on the importance of the RVO through the through the EPA and hopefully grow those volumes. It's actually some of these issues have allowed you and ethanol to work together and and, uh, and go in with the united front on these issues. We. <clears throat> We've seen unprecedented uh, cooperation and coordination among ethanol groups, biodiesel, corn and soybeans, and state associations representing those commodities. And it, you know, adversity brought us together. Mm-hmm. We we were all being attacked by the same EPA and the same administration. We banded together. Without doing that, and we know this, you know, from hearing from our members on the Hill that the fact that we all came together, we had a simple message, we had one ask, and that was to ensure the integrity of those volumes. And they were able to go into the White House, have those conversations. There was no muddying of the message. There were no, uh, you know, differing priorities. So that really made a big difference. And I'm hopeful that we'll be able to maintain that and continue that as well. We, we, we fight together. We, we fight better if we all fight together and not against each other, for sure. So as you said, you go into this year with... Uh with the the tax credit behind you now, you've got that in place. It'll take a while for the industry to kind of recover and rebound, but I would think already there are probably some plans to uh, move forward now. That's that's absolutely right. I've been talking to members while we're here in Tampa to get a sense of, you know, we have a lot of folks who uh, were looking at expansions, capital investments, and projects that they put on hold. 
word is almost all of those are going to be put back into action in the near term. I'm hopeful that plants will be able to come back online. In the past, in uh, I believe in 2013 and 2016, when the tax credit was in place at the start of the calendar year, uh, the average growth in domestic volumes was about 400 million gallons for that year. So that would be that would be outstanding if that's the case. I, I hope that with three years we get a lot of build out, not only in production but in feedstock development and also in downstream, because the tax credit really exists to get downstream partners, whether it's uh, infrastructure, blending um, to, to retailers, to consumers, to get them to buy in on, uh, you know, that there is a desire, there is a motivation to get more biodiesel to consumers. So instead of this being, a, a you know, a volatile, uh, uncertain policy where some people take the risk and others don't, I'm hopeful that with three years, everybody says, hey, this is a fantastic opportunity. I want to get involved. I want more fuel. I want to get it out to consumers. That means economic activity, means jobs. I mean, it's a ripple effect then. Absolutely. I mean, I I would hope that every soybean farmer understands the benefit of a three-year tax extension, what it means to their bottom line and their, their, their profit per bushel. All right, Kurt, thanks a lot. Good to have some a victory to talk about. Thanks for being with us. Always happy to. Thank you, sir. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Up next, we'll talk with the National Biodiesel Board CEO, Donnell Rehagen. Stay with us. From Tampa, this is AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain and oil seed sector, a mix an hour into the day. Soybean futures began trade higher, but were down 3.9% since the U.S.-China trade deal was reached last week. The futures were higher overnight, led by wheat. That follows a 2.1% rise in Chicago wheat on Tuesday, and it makes it 4.5% for the March wheat contract since Thursday's close of last week. An hour into the day, March Chicago wheat down two and a quarter at five seventy nine and three quarters. Kansas City wheat March down four and three quarters at four ninety five and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat March down a quarter of a cent at five sixty one and three quarters. March soybeans fell sharply on Tuesday. That contract in retreat from the high of nine sixty one touched on January second. March at nine seventeen and a quarter, up a penny. And a quarter. March corn down three quarters of a cent at 386 and three quarters. The market has stabilized back within its recent 392 to 382 range after rejecting quick tests of the 375 zone three times this month. For livestock in the Merck, in cattle futures, live cattle are defensive. 35 to 52 cents lower, February down 37, 126.02. Feeder cattle march down 82 at 143.85. We're waiting for cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. Asking prices expected to become more evident today. In feeder cattle, March down 77 at 143.90. Lean hogs, February down 30, 67.07. The Dow up 117 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
And welcome back. We are in Tampa, Florida for the National Biodiesel Conference. And the theme is Vision 2020. Looks a lot better than the Vision did in 2019. It's just so much more hope for the industry with the uh, the tax credit back in place. Donnell Rehagen is CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. He joins us now. Donnell, we were just talking with Kurt. I mean, it's just hard to to overstate how important that tax credit and getting it back is for this industry. I mean, now uh, you've got people in the industry looking to expand in some cases, others restarting. Uh, there's going to be still a recovery period, but the, now there's a, you can see that light now at the end of that, what's been a dark tunnel. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's a basic business principle. It's hard to make decisions unless you can really see what's out in front of you. And our industry has not been able to benefit from seeing that tax credit in a prospective way. And, and uh, it's been a number of years since we've seen that. So obviously having that tax credit three years out in front of us, 2020, 21, and 22, I think it's going to free up uh, some decisions, make some decisions a lot easier. And I think we're going to see some uh, a lot of investment going on in this time frame. Which should mean more jobs, more hiring. In some cases, you've got plants that uh, have to will look to restart. They'll have to find employees. Maybe they'll get some back that they had, maybe not. But uh, that takes time. So there's going to be a, a bit of a, a recovery period here before things really get going. Yeah, that's for sure. I think uh, especially the plants that shut down, it's going to take them a little bit longer to get going. Uh, but I do think the, the positivity of the tax credit and just um, as well, the sentiment that is, is very obvious now that uh, there's going to be growing demand for biodiesel renewable diesel because of, of carbon objectives, carbon reduction objectives around the country. That So I think that's uh, it will be a little bit of a slow start for 2020, but I think when we get finished at the end of the year, it's uh, we're going to look back on a record year. Well, your vision, uh, your goal for the industry is to get up to 6 billion gallons by the year 2030. Now, where are you right now? How many gallons? Yeah, so domestically, biodiesel, renewable diesel is, is, uh, is a little bit under 3 billion gallons. So we're talking about doubling in size in the next 10 years. We've been at this for 25 years, 28 years, actually. So uh, we're going to try to double what we've done in the last 28 years in the next 10. And uh, the good news is it's not just a vision. It's not just a number we drew out of the air. We've looked at it. We've modeled it. We've looked at markets that we think are going to grow and, and demand that volume. And we're very confident in that in our ability to get there. Feedstock is going to be the issue. So I hope our nation's soybean farmers are ready for us to uh, to be drawing in growing and growing uh, volume of uh, soybean oil to make uh, help us make reach those goals so you're looking at uh, the low carbon policies especially on the east and west coast uh, the bioheat uh, is a growing sector for you in the northeast those you look will be your drivers to get to that six billion gallons in yeah sure the the uh, low carbon fuel standard and, and carbon policies on the west coast will be drivers for multiple billion probably to between two and three billion gallons uh, kind of heading west to satisfy those goals and objectives. Uh, the, the East Coast, uh, as you mentioned, the bioheat industry, the heating oil industry is trying to go literally to 100% biodiesel by 2050. I mean, that's a, that's a ways down the road. But uh, to, to get there, they've got some, some goals in 2023 and 2030. So by 2030, they want to be 50% biodiesel. 
For them to reach that goal, they're going to need between two and a half and three billion gallons of biodiesel themselves. So you look at a West Coast market about three, you look at an East Coast market about three, and that's not talking at all about what's going on in Illinois with incentives, uh, Minnesota with mandates, and all the programs that are materializing. So I think uh, six billion gallons is uh, is definitely going to be an attainable goal. As I mentioned, speed stock's going to be our issue. Talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. You've got a big hurdle still ahead of you yet, and that is the small refinery exemptions, the RFS. And your industry has been hurt very much by these. And if that gets resolved, along with having your tax credit, then the industry could really take off. That is the last key element. And those two you know, policies, uh, the tax credit and the RFS, have always worked hand in hand. When one is not working right, the other one's not as helpful as it could be. So we really need to get some growth in the biomass-based diesel category of the RFS. Uh, the EPA has just held us pretty flat over the last several years. Um, and, but at the same time, a number doesn't matter if these small refinery exemptions are granted the way they have been. So we've had an EPA setting a number and then later undermining that number by granting all of these small refinery exemptions. So we've had some meetings at the White House and, and elevated this issue literally all the way to the president last fall uh, to try to get some certainty around how the EPA is going to handle these SREs in the future and to make sure that they know what's really happening in our industry when those SREs are granted. What does your research indicate when it comes to fuel demand in this country there's been a lot of talk about you know using less fuel and what that would mean for the biofuels industry what does your research indicate well so you know we we feel like on our side of the equation there's a lot of talk about electrification and your lighter duty vehicles and we're seeing more electric cars um but it seems to us that the heavy-duty sector that we supply into uh, is going to be the last to see electrification. So, uh, and I think you know most of the studies are showing us, and, and independent studies are suggesting that there's going to be ever-growing demand for for diesel. That's how Amazon moves products. That's how the big uh, the big suppliers move products. So, as consumers want more stuff being dropped on their doorstep, that stuff is generally going to make its way from uh, production to doorsteps uh, in, in, on a diesel platform. And as people look more and more at climate change, however you feel about it, there's going to be more emphasis on that. That's where these low carbon policies come into play and create this opportunity for the biodiesel industry yeah you're exactly right and you know we were just uh, on stage talking with some of the folks from the uh, from the heating oil industry the bioheat industry now and uh, you know they've said they've there are states in the northeast that have literally given them a deadline at which point they will be legislated out of business because their product oil oil heat uh, has carbon and the, those states have goals to remove carbon so uh, as those types of policies come into play, not just in those unique areas, but in other areas where there's just a goal to try to produce cleaner transportation fuels. You know, as you said, you can you can agree or disagree about climate change, but at the end of the day, I think as Americans, we've got to believe we can do better than burning petroleum you know, from the ground. We've been doing that for 100 years. Surely there's a better solution. And in our case, for biodiesel and renewable diesel, that solution is here now. And regardless of how you feel about climate change, I think we can all agree we want cleaner air. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So I know ethanol is looking at really getting uh, some growth in export markets as some of these cities around the world are looking at cleaner air. Could this be a potential 
opportunity someday for the biodiesel industry for exports yes yeah. i i think there is right now you know we've we've not we're not doing a lot of exporting there's enough domestic demand and, and that's growing uh, again we have to get those strong signals that this country wants more where we're producing at higher right. levels where exports even you know make some sense but definitely we'd be happy to help co- countries around the world who want to try to seek those same goals if that's something that makes sense for our biodiesel producers and it can it can return a margin that helps them of course you're also looking to get fair policy on uh, uh biodiesel from other countries coming into the u.s right yeah yeah and we've we've obviously experienced that over the years and i think hopefully we've we've resolved that uh, at least in those cases so so we'll be watching that obviously our our country um you know demanding more it's important for our industry to step up with this vision and say hey this is where we plan to be we think we can do this because otherwise those signals are also going out to other countries right saying hey the u.s wants more so if there's a perception that we can't produce enough domestically other countries are going to want to step into that space we would just as soon have that product produced here in the u.s i want to circle back to the feedstock question that you brought up um what is your message to soybean growers when it comes to here's an opportunity we need you to to be able to realize that opportunity thank you for that question because uh, this is a very important message Uh, i held a little what i called a soy summit yesterday lunchtime to uh, kind of take this vision of six billion gallons and drive it down to the soybean industry because we are going to be very very dependent on soybean production and soybean oil if we're going to get to a six billion gallon goal as i said we've modeled this to see what this means to the marketplace and and again where the where the demand is going to come from our modeling tells us that if the u.s biodiesel renewable diesel industry is going to be six billion gallons by 2030 we are going to need 18 billion pounds of soybean oil every single year now current Production is about 22 billion pounds a year of soybean oil. Our industry today uh, utilizes about 8 billion pounds. So we're going to need 18 billion pounds a year to be at 6 billion gallons. There's just not enough other feedstocks when you look at used cooking oil, animal fats, uh, distiller's corn. There's just not going to be enough growth in those to help us. So that was my message to the soybean industry yesterday, their leadership, like, we're together on this. If the biodiesel industry is going to get to $6 billion, it's going to be because you guys help us get there. And if, if you can't, then we're not going to get there. Because you mentioned there are these other sources, feedstocks, but it's going to be primarily on soybeans, right? It's very disproportionately dependent on soybean. There's just, there, we're not going to grow more animals to make biodiesel. We're not going to uh, build more ethanol plants for biodiesel supply. We're not going to... Uh, fry more french fries to uh, supply a biodiesel industry so unless there's a new feedstock that we're, we're not seeing at this point soybean oil is going to be the uh, the uh, oil of choice for uh, this growth pattern that we're going to be in in the next 10 years so that's the opportunity yep, for sure soybean is. growers this was created primarily i remember when soybean growers this glut of soybean oil now you're ne- going to be needing more soybean oil right yeah it, and it is funny we've chuckled about that we've had some good conversations with our friends at usb about that as well how it's gonna it's kind of switching now yeah well it's exciting to talk about expansion and growth and uh, more positive things than we've dealt with the last couple of years donnell good to see you thank yeah, you very Michael, much thank you donnell rehagen ceo of the national biodiesel board stay with us more from the biodiesel conference in tampa coming up here on AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. 
Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to our coverage of the National Biodiesel Conference here in Tampa. Interesting conversation we just had with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. When you're looking at an industry that's now poised to really grow again, you think how this really got started. It's because there was a glut of soybean oil, and soybean farmers wanted to find a market for it. So that they came up with, back then we called it soy diesel, now biodiesel, and it has had its ups and downs over the year, but over the years. But now it looks ready to take off some great opportunities. And you heard Donnell say, currently we're using 18 billion pounds of soybean oil, and he thinks um, the industry is going to... Uh, need to get up to 28 billion gallons. So that's going to be quite an opportunity here uh, for soybean growers moving forward. I want to talk with a soybean grower now from uh, my state of Illinois. Scott Gaffner is with us. And Scott, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, You have an interesting background. You were a farmer. You got out of farming for a while and then back in. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, we were a dairy, grain and dairy farming early on. Uh, We had five kids in my family. And so it was hard work, it was high interest rates, milk prices weren't that good. Didn't feel like the farm would probably be there for us with that many kids to be able to support it. So I went to the Illinois State Police for 29 years. Um, still was involved with the farming operation, but not to the degree that I came back to now after I retired two years ago. And it's, it's just totally amazed me, uh, the opportunities available, especially that biodiesel has created for us as soybean farmers. And that really excites me. Yeah, because you're always talking about you're looking for demand, you're looking for new products, you're looking for uh, you know something to help uh, lift the market, and it looks like biodiesel uh, really more than ever may have that potential now. Sure. I'm a director with the Illinois Soybean Association, and we're a checkoff program. So if we sell uh, $10 soybeans, you know, five cents of that is coming to the checkoff program. With biodiesel, we're getting 63 cents a bushel back on that. That's a great return for our investment. And that's something that farmers need to know about. And I don't think we're done yet. I think just like uh, you had heard about, I think the demand is going to continue to increase. Hopefully the prices continue to increase for soybeans. And so it just makes it beneficial for those of us that are farming. And so that's what we look forward to. And it's interesting, as producers, we'll have to look at some things like you know protein and oil content. Protein, obviously, the big driver, but it, it sounds like, you know, there's going to be more demand for higher oil beans. Well, yeah, and that's something that we can always uh, look forward to. Um, just like whenever we recently had this issue with China, we, did, we weren't able to move as many soybeans to China. We're looking for alternative means to be able to uh, sell these soybeans. And so 
Um, biodiesel has just been a great catalyst for us, and we just continue to look forward to increased demand from this. And that's why I've, I really appreciate this conference, because it's allowed me to interact with people that produce uh, the biodiesel, that, that, that we could talk to them about how we are producing the soybeans and growing the soybeans, and they can talk to us about how they are producing the, the uh, biodiesel. So that's exciting. And let me go back, and I want to go over those numbers again. i got them mixed up a little bit. Right now we're using 8 billion pounds of soybean oil. The projection is, as the industry tries to increase use, that we'll get up to needing 18 billion pounds, so an increase of 10 billion pounds of oil to get to the goal of using 6 billion gallons of biodiesel by the year 2030. So that's a significant increase coming. That is. So if we, if we think about what biodiesel does for the state of Illinois, Biodiesel currently, it creates about 20,000 direct and indirect jobs, and that's not including the 43,000 farms that we represent as the Illinois Soybean Association. So if we continue to increase these numbers, you know, can we create the more job opportunities in Illinois, our own home state? I think that's a that's a, a message that needs to get out more. It's an opportunity, a market opportunity for farmers, but when you look at the bigger picture, you're talking about uh, uh, more economic activity, more jobs, uh, and of course, cleaner air for everyone with the use of a fuel like this. You and I both live in Illinois. Uh, we lead the nation in many things that we're probably not proud of, the number of governors that have gone to prison, the number of people leaving. But if we can do something productive, with like with biodiesel, and we can increase the number of jobs in a state like ours, then maybe we can retain more of those people to stay here in our area. So that's what it's all about, I think, for us that live in Illinois. But not only Illinois, it creates jobs nationwide. I mean, 60,000 jobs at least created because of biodiesel nationwide. You know, uh, you know the numbers, I think it's about $17 billion in total economic activity nationwide. So huge, huge impact. Sometimes I think it, it's hard for a, a farmer to, to see where his products go once they leave the farm and to see the bigger picture. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a very big picture. I, I agree with that, and that's where I was kind of narrow-focused, especially coming back into the farm operation. Really, what is this about? Is this just about us in Illinois? It's not. It's a global impact we have. Our soybeans are going globally. And so uh, this biodiesel, though, is something that can benefit us as farmers, both at this point in time through the state of Illinois and through nationally. And so we hope it does go global. We hope we get into ships. We hope we get into more things that we're not into right now with biodiesel. Mm -hmm. And, as you, as, you know, we talk a lot about trade deals. Those are important. and uh, uh, But so are some of these domestic uh, industries right now. We don't want to take these for granted. And it's been a tough uh, few years for the biodiesel industry, but it looks now like it's ready to maybe uh, take a big step forward. I hope. I mean, with that, uh, with them... Uh, passing in late December here, they were able to pass the tax, ex tax extension. Uh, that's been a great benefit for us as farmers because it gives us the assurance that we'll continue to have a place for our soybeans to go. So uh, we as an organization with the Illinois Soybean Association continue to promote these kind of things. Um, we're working hard for the farmers, and that's what we want to do. Yeah, and it, it, it takes those state organizations like yours uh, to really get behind us. Donnell was talking about uh, his challenge kind of went out to the soybean growers. We need you. If we're going to grow up to 6 billion gallons use by the year 2030, and if we're going to go from 8 billion uh, uh, pounds of soybean oil being used now up to 18 billion pounds of soybean oil, they need farmers like you to be able to produce that feedstock. Absolutely. The other thing an organization such as ours does, it helps um, – with the legislators. So, I mean, we've been out to D.C. to help encourage legislators to move forward with these initiatives, too. So 
we look forward to that as well. Scott, good to talk with you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Illinois soybean farmer Scott Gaffner here at the Biodiesel Conference in Tampa. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed our coverage. It's, it's it's just a more positive feel here. Cautious optimism because of the pain of the last few years to recover from, but uh, certainly an industry looking forward. Hope you've enjoyed our coverage. Thanks for being with us here on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.